following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Our Bible reading today is from 1 Corinthians, which is found on page 1144, and I'm starting at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Claire, if you come up, I will pray for you. Father God, send your spirit on Claire as she comes to preach to us. Give her the words that you want her to say and open all of our eyes and our ears so that we can hear her message and be transformed by your grace. Amen. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Oh, that's nice. You're awake. Great. In the summer of 2019, a young rapper called Michael Amari united a crowd of 200,000 music fans at the Glastonbury Festival when he invited them all to go to church with him. 
Stormzy, as he's better known, led everyone in singing a song of praise to God called Blinded by Your Grace. It goes like this, Lord, without the rap song. (laughs) That's not one of my skills yet. Lord, I've been broken, although I'm not worthy. You fixed me, and now I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. The video clip is a beautiful thing to behold. All those thousands of people, most of them the age missing from many of our churches, singing together, I've been broken, I'm not worthy. You fixed me. I'm blinded by your grace. And just in case any of them were not sure who they're singing about, Stormzy introduced the song with the accolade, we're going to give God all the glory right now. Paul opens this letter to the church in Corinth by reminding them of the grace that they know the grace they have received, the grace they have in common with one another, and the grace from which everything else flows. Because grace is the ultimate leveling up. Who we think we are is irrelevant in the sight of grace. No role, qualification, job, salary, inheritance can obtain grace for us. It cannot be earned, but is freely given through God in Christ. The church in Corinth, Paul reminds them, has been sanctified or freed from sin in Christ, called to be his holy people, along with everyone else, all the saints, all the new worshipping communities to use today's lingo. All those that are being planted, they're here because of grace in Christ. In fact, Paul mentions the name of Christ 10 times in 10 verses to stress the importance of this in their understanding. They've been washed clean, forgiven, set apart through grace in Christ to be God's people. It's all about Jesus and Paul is asking them to remember that fact. He's also reminding them of grace because through grace they've received everything they need. They've been enriched through knowledge and every spiritual gift they could ever need. The sense is that their gifts are all the things needed to enable them in their daily walk with the Lord, keeping them firm in faith until Christ returns. All God's gifts available to them through grace in Christ. So why then when they know all this, and they do really know it, is Paul having to address division in the church? Has consumerism crept in? You know what I mean when we turn up to church and realize it's not the preacher we had last week. Oh no. A common sin to fall into in churches with more than one preacher. Just consumerism or 
Is it tribalism? Still a bit of a buzz phrase, isn't it, these days? That urge to find your tribe. Find the people like you, that you feel most comfortable with, so that there can be more people like you. And life becomes easier being you, surrounded by all these like-minded mates. The church in Corinth are gathering around different prominent figures and devising a bit of a league table, top of the Premier League, those who follow Christ. Just below them on points difference, those who follow Paul and were baptized by him. A bit like football when the fan base gets distracted from the game and get involved in name calling and insulting songs. The church appears to have taken its eye off the ball. Okay, enough with the football illustrations. The point is, somewhere along the way, the church has stopped keeping Jesus the main thing. They're distracted, argumentative, and Paul wants to bring them back so that they are all about Jesus. If we look back at Acts 18, that Logan took us through last week, you might like to do that. Um, if I'd looked it up beforehand, I could have told you the page number. It's not a competition, but a point for that. Oh, there we are, 1114. We can see that the church in Corinth was birthed in divisive debate. Now, in some places, Paul could rock up, explain the gospel, and a fellowship seemed to form reasonably easily. I and mean, someone has quipped that whenever Paul preached, he got beaten up. Sometimes that came a bit later. I think it must have felt quite intense in Corinth. He spent plenty of time here in the synagogue. He was not received with open arms. He was hotly contended with in that place, so much so that when the leader of the synagogue becomes a follower of Jesus, the situation goes from bad to worse. Paul goes off in a huff to the Gentiles or the nobodies, as Logan referred to them last week. The Jews react badly, bring a civil action which is dismissed, and then have someone beaten up in court just to relieve their feelings. It's a difficult beginning. In fact, Paul really needs the Holy Spirit to speak to him, to assure him not to be afraid. For the Lord has many people in the city. I don't know if you've ever been beaten up on your way into church. We tend to, um, we would find it, almost, we wouldn't find it amusing here. But we know it's an odd thing here. But I had a friend in another church who was beaten up because he was seen leaving church. And some people decided that he must have deserted their faith and therefore needed to be punished. So it might be unusual here, but it's not unusual necessarily in the UK. So the church has begun in division. Then there's the issue of pride. The particular gifts the church has been given appear to be ones of knowledge and excellence in speaking. They're good at this. They're good at discussion and they're good at debate. 
They know how to preach well and share the gospel. Their eloquent orators attract the crowd. But it looks like this is also their weakness. Pride comes before a fall, as the proverb goes. And before they know where they are, they are taking sides. Are they there to win arguments or win souls? Paul is convinced, nope, this will not do. You can't chop up Christ and portion him out. That's ridiculous. Paul didn't die for them. Paul is clear, he's a messenger. He is not their savior. So grace doesn't work this way and uh, neither does the church. You're gonna have to find a way through and beyond your differences is Paul's take on this. And we will see as we go through this letter to the Corinthians, there are more than just these divisions to sort out. It's easy to have rose-colored spectacles. The early church was amazing, wasn't it? Just sprang up all over the place and they were incredible people and they shared everything and they never fell out. Disunity among Christians is a modern thing, is it not? No, it's not. It really isn't. This week marks the beginning of a week of prayer for Christian unity, which suggests disunity is still a feature if you hadn't picked up on that. But what does standing firm look like in the face of serious disagreement? How do we achieve unity? Well, being a united church looks like short accounts. We can't afford to take on historical hurts from another generation or harbor hurts on behalf of someone else. Not only will we end up exhausted, these hurts will resurface time and again prohibiting growth in our own discipleship and growth in new Christians. After all, no one wants to join a sinking ship. Neither does God need us to carry such hurts because through grace, thank goodness, in Christ Jesus, the sin has been dealt with and a way back to God in all healing and wholeness has been made. If we don't forgive or can't forgive, we're setting ourselves up as a higher judge than God. Whether or not we were directly involved, we have to practice forgiveness. And it is a practice that takes practice. In Christ, we have received forgiveness. We understand how good that feels, how freeing it is. So we can't then go on and withhold forgiveness from someone else, but through grace, we are enabled. Being united, I think, also looks like witness. Jesus warned his disciples in Mark 13, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. We're all called to have a reason for the hope that we've received. But that doesn't mean we'll be received when we offer that hope.
to others. Jesus was continually opposed. And sometimes he entered into debate. And sometimes, quite frankly, he refused. A guy called John Inge has been leading our daily reflections in morning prayer recently. And he said this, of the 183 questions he's asked in the Gospels, Jesus answers only three in a straightforward manner. To the others, he either gives no response, or he changes the subject, or he asks another question, tells a story, or says, that's the wrong question. Through the Holy Spirit, we have received every gift we need to stand firm and bear witness. Like Jesus, we are to be in the business of winning souls more than winning arguments. And finally, to stand firm in unity as church, well, it looks like Jesus. Jesus has to stay the main thing. When Jesus isn't front and center, well, we become distracted, disagreeable, disjointed. Last week, if you were here, we shared the bread in our Holy Communion service. The liturgy liturgy leads us to speak of breaking Christ's body and sharing it together. It's a dividing act, but it's not a divisive act. It's a communal act. In Holy Communion, we receive an invitation from Jesus who with customary, indiscriminate generosity is always looking to spend time with the nobodies. The invitation is to draw near in faith and receive his grace. Former Archbishop Brian Williams says that Holy Communion obliges us to see the person next to us as wanted by God. God wants that person's company, your company, your company, every bit as much as God wants mine. Is it a master plan for Christian unity? Maybe. It's certainly transformative in how we see ourselves, in how we see others, in how we see when we see Jesus first. We're broken and unworthy, that's for sure. God has fixed and saved us through Christ. That too is for sure. Grace is the ultimate leveling up from which our lives as Christian people are situated. So let us live in that grace and live out of that grace in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.